Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's Reddit series video from the subreddit HFY called Absence Makes the Heart Part 3 of 5, written by MacDye. It won't work, sir. The bioweapon failed. I'm confident it was deployed, but we don't know a goddamn thing about the command ship. What we do know is that they can communicate instantaneously across any distance. The infrastructure we spotted during the raid is a sure sign that they are building a new command ship. The only thing that has kept us in the fight this damn long is without our ships, they aren't FTL capable yet. He had become the ranking experienced naval commander left amongst the remnants of the human forces. He was also the only commander that had survived boarding actions by spiders. Twice. He had led the Vega Tory defense for months. He had brought back the remnants of the feet from the raid. All to say, the politicians didn't much care for what he had to say. They cared, so little in fact, that he didn't even warrant the privilege to speaking to them, to talk them out of their idiotic plan. Instead, he was facing the team of experts that would lead the next offensive, hit the enemy known major manufacturing centers, a plan that would achieve little to nothing in the long term. They would just build more. They were already building more. And it hinged on boarding teams to deliver the same bioweapon. It worked on their hunter-killers, even the spiders, hosted or not, but there had only ever been limited testing on active, live enemy crops. It had severely hampered their ability to operate, but the bioweapon had never been proven to kill one. They didn't rely on their biomechanical mechanisms to function. They relied on them to function well. We have our orders, Commodore. Military intelligence is confident that this operation will severely hamper the enemy's ability to maintain the current offensive. We are on the ropes, and a few more hits and we'll be out of the ring entirely. This will buy us time. Admiral McLean, originally charged with the lead of Dominion fleets during the raid, had been forced to step down at the last moment in favor for a more senior late Admiral Dorner. Admiral McLean was an adamant supporter of the Dominion government, but compared to the Admiral Dorner, he was downright free-spirited. And I and my fleet are confident it won't work. The phrasing was important. It was not his government's fleet, not the Allied human fleet. He had seven FTL-capable ships left, and they were loyal to him first. It didn't sit well, the idea that a professional military could find its allegiance in a military leader and not in the elected, legally appointed government. Not something that he'd ever wished for, but it had become necessary. Admiral McLean was silent, as were the nation's representatives. Commodore, formation commodores, politicians, they were acutely aware of the fact that the meeting was being hosted on the system's largest station, a system that Commodore Owens and his fleet had just finished leading the first successful, if temporary, victory against the enemy, repelling the first wave of enemy ships that had pushed to the week prior. So what do you propose, Commodore? The Admiral's tone was dry and calm, although there was a nervous tightness around his eyes as he stared at the grizzled Commodore. The scarring across one side of Ben's face was horrific, even though his wound was better, part three decades old. Even the cybernetic implant was replaced, the eye was outdated, an entirely temporary model. But the year it would have taken to reconstruct his face and ready him for a proper permanent implant had simply not been in the cards for the Vega Tory man. The enemy can communicate instantaneously, Admiral. 
Every one of them can speak directly to the command ship. We don't need biological virus, ladies and gentlemen. We need software. He grinned, a vicious-looking thing with a scarred portion of his face contorted, revealing a tall, too neat row of teeth that replaced the ones that he'd lost. We don't have the time to develop a program that can infiltrate and shut down the communications commodore. It's already been discussed. It's impossible to develop a program that can function on an alien network. Programming language, base math theory, hell, even hardware that was running the software in the enemy network was alien, too different to be so easily breached. Maybe we've had another 30 years. We don't, Admiral. We have, what, two, three? Assuming that the Cleosted Empress doesn't decide to grant us additional direct assistance. Assuming no other government decides to help us, which they won't, and you damn well know it. Too much time wasted fighting amongst ourselves, burning bridges with other races. We were an embarrassment, Admiral. They don't care if we fall. We never gave them a reason to... He glared at the government representatives, even as the HUD on his cybernetic eye flashed a priority message. This is it, the last human fleet, the last dedicated warships we may ever build, the last space station we may ever put into orbit over a planet. After this, we'll exist as memories of what? Slave labor, homeless drifters, a living, breathing example of what can be lost when you can't get over yourselves, can't grow the frick up. Can't move past the desire for personal power and profit and control. He grated him to say the last part considering what he was about to do. As the message confirmed his contacts had done what they was asked. What's your answer, Admiral? I've sworn a duty to carry out the orders of... Arms put Flag Officer Jack Vaughan through. He was already turning to walk towards the conference room door. Commodore Irwin's strange ring to it, a familiar voice, one he hadn't actually heard in almost thirty years, not since the Academy. Older, more, grown up maybe, but there was still that damn hint of mischief in his tone. The personal assistant to Admiral McLean, senior officer aboard the Admiral's flagship at the moment. Flag Officer Voronin, is the fleet ready? Yes, it is, Commodore. We had a few people that disagreed, so we're putting them in shuttles now. Tower has agreed to house them until this is over. Admiral McLean surged to his feet, but most of the others in his retinue hadn't caught on yet. What the hell have you done, Owens? I'm taking your fleet, Admiral. We're ending this. And not by sending goddamn xenobiologists on a freaking alien mothership. Anna McLean was a friend of mine. He turned to point at the Admiral, a single accusatory finger. I don't say a frickin' thing. Your own daughter. It was a suicide mission, and you damn well knew it. All because of some money-grubbing politician told you to do it. The Admiral froze. The conference room door opened, and four members of station security entered, armed, along with the station administrator, who offered Ben a grim nod. We'll keep them locked up until you're out of the system, sir. He couldn't bring himself to speak. Instead, giving a curt nod on his way out the door. Princess Piella sat in a war room on the flagship of a small fleet that she had been given. Dozens of Cleasted Empire warships sat ready to go FTL, make the next jump of the journey to the distant, once-human star system. Hope stood on the table's edge nearest her and was busy bringing up star maps the week's old telemetry data Bennett provided. Around the table were dozens of ship's captains and a chosen admiral, an age-cleasted navy veteran, many hundreds of human years old. 
He had fought in campaigns against dozens of races and another dozen human nations, and so carried the most diverse range of adaptability and improvisation of any cleasted naval officer. He had also been forcibly retired due to age almost a human century ago. The opportunity for one last sortie had been accepted before she had even finished explaining her needs. Then, Commodore Owens, she glanced at the Admiral, retired Thornan, with a hint of a smile and a twinge of embarrassment. Commodore Owens will transition to the system that was last known to hold the enemy's command ship, with as many vessels as he can gather to his banner. He, like us, is defying direct orders of his leaders by carrying out a second direct assault. There is evidence that during the previous raid, the enemy fleets in other systems were noticeably less responsive. It is theorized that when a command ship is in danger, the enemy diverts most of its focus there. She spelt him distant, focused, confident. The difference, however, was there was a weight lifted from him. He had been alone, or felt himself alone for a long time, but he knew that she was out there, and that she was coming to his aid, and that given him something to lean on and draw fresh strength from. The human feet will assault the command ship directly, drawing its attention from us. Okay, shifted to the instant to Hope, who was grinning up at her with a ghost image, the holographic representation that only Piella could see, while her main image continued to work diligently at laying out the attack programs and will be used to bring the enemy to its knees. They have no name, the humans have refused to give them one, so neither shall we. We will transit into the enemy-occupied system into two waves. The first, sword formation led by Captain Ciaria, is to draw the majority of the enemy forces in system. Grand Admiral Sonan, leading wing formation, will transition into one hour behind sword at a different coordinates, with the intent of striking an automated factory sighted in the system's outermost asteroid belt, where this AI will begin its assault on the communications network. There were no murmurs or spoken discontent with the plan around the table, but there were a few worrying hints of emotion from the gathered captains. I've approved the Grand Admiral plan. Commodore Owens is in agreement. This dual-cultural AI will devise the programs needed to cripple the enemy's communication abilities, and once it has seized control of the communication systems, will begin transmitting a kill command to any other command ships in the galaxy. Captain Saria... Sue would command the sword formation broadcast a momentary hesitation, uncertainty, before speaking up. Princess, Grand Admiral, why are we getting involved? This is a human matter, and the Empress made it clear that we are only to provide escort and border patrol aid through the remaining systems. This is far beyond any authority she granted you, and it'll be very long time before any of these things reach our space. The other captains shifted a bit at that. They all shared the same concern, but had been unwilling to voice it. Biela waited for a moment and then gestured to Hope, because if we don't help Ben stop this thing now, it'll come for us next. Not today, maybe not even during our lifetimes, but it'll come for us, and there'll be more command ships, more fleets, more of these monsters. A holographic screen appeared and began to play a recording. A helmet camera. A first-person view of a narrow alley, two power-armored soldiers ran ahead of the viewer, surging out into the open street where hundreds of civilians were running. Other soldiers, planetary militia, wearing powered exoskeleton suits, were directing them towards underground shelters. 
The three pushed through the crowd easily. The size and bulk of their suits made the crowd part around them, and then they were into the open stretch of street. Other marines were ahead of them, firing into the side street. One was struck repeatedly by bolts of energy, which seared holes through the soldier's heavy armor, dropping his broken body to the ground. Screams, horrible, pained screams, could be heard as the viewer rounded the corner. A female marine ran to the fallen soldier, only to push the corpse into a sitting position and kneeling behind it, firing over the body's shoulder. Strange, multi-limbed creatures, machines, surged down the street towards the soldiers. Some leapt onto buildings, climbing up the vertical surfaces as their six knife-edged limbs stabbed easily into stone or metal. A seventh, multi-jointed limb jutted out the main body, from which their ranged weapons were mounted. In the street, others continued to advance, their move jerkily, puppet-like, the knife-like limbs of the spiders were crudely jammed into the flesh of their limbs. Another hung over the soldier and embedded down in their hips. Black tendrils, hoses, and cables were wormed into their flesh, allowing the spider to wield the bodies like puppets. Despite it all, the head moved on its own, screaming in pain, begging for release, turning with terror-filled eyes towards any that may have helped them. Some were soldiers, militia, or regular army in exosuits and powered armor. Most were civilians. The recording ended in a sudden flash of light. The helmet's wearer was struck by enemy fire. I do not want that happening to my people, Captain. I don't want it happening to any more of the Commodore's people. Do you? There was a moment of silence at the table before Captain Ciaria nodded silently. No, Princess. No, I do not. Anyone else? She looked around the table, giving each of them a long, direct stare. She was indignant, angry, but it wasn't focused at them, and they knew it. Her righteous, simmering anger directed across the void towards a distant star system, Beneath it, fueling it, perhaps was a fear and empathy for all those still that fought, and an almost overwhelming need to help someone important to her. When none spoke up, she simply nodded and dismissed them back to their ships. Soon, only she and the Grand Admiral Captain Saria and Hope remained in the room. The captain rounded the table and smiled down at Hope. Hello, little one. You have a lot of work ahead of you. Father was able to give me a lot to work with, Saria. I will be ready. She flashed a proud smile up at the captain, and then her mouth before looking back at her work. Well done today, Captain. Princess Biela smiled tightly. The captain just flashed an understanding smile in return. It had been a choreographed question and answer, meant to set the stage to get the other captains fully onto the princess's side. And it seemed to have worked. The Grand Admiral simply moved to an unused part of the table to bring up the battle plans again, studying them closely. This does seem like little work, Princess. I should hope so, Grand Admiral. I put a lot of thought into it, after all. Another grin, a flash of pride. She had spent a lot of time with help from Hope and Captain Saria, coming up with it, studying the capabilities of the ships that made up her fleet, the estimate speed and size of Ben's own fleet. The time had to be perfect. She was relying on a connection to him to get it right. Room! The engine room of Falcon 2 came to attention, and the young naval ratings voice echoed through the low ceiling, cramped chamber. 
He returned the young man's salute and stepped into the room, scanning across dozen crew that manned the ship's engines, the power plants, and the computer core. At ease, cheap, a word. He signaled to the senior engineer in the room, and the two stepped aside as the rest of the crew went back to work. What can I pretend to help you with today, Commodore? The man tugged a rag from his pocket and used it to scrape the grease from his hands, achieving little more than spreading it further, considering how filthy the rag was. Ben eyed the man for a moment, and then just shook his head and moved on with a hint of a grin. I need you to rig a torpedo for me. The chief engineer stared at Ben, clearly awaiting an explanation. One that can hold a computer core and stealth. And something that those bastards can't detect. It's going to be my ace in the hole if things go the way I think they might. He spoke quietly, his good eye tense. I can do that, Commodore. Something that small shouldn't be that hard. He wasn't sure what the plan was exactly, but he could guess. No plan survives contact with the enemy. Helmuth von Malkter, the Elder, a German field marshal of the late 1800s, had said something to that effect. Far longer-winded, perhaps, and of course far angrier-sounding in its original German, but the paraphrase quote was still quite accurate. Viala rode the Grand Admiral Sornan aboard the Emilus Unbroken, a cleistered medium-class warship named after one of her people's gods, and led the ship of wind formation. They were an hour behind the sword when they jumped into the target system. Priority message, sword formation. They were ambushed on transitioning into system, requesting immediate assistance. Fiella looked at the rapidly populating holographic representations of the system. Icons marked locations and sparse human presence that had existed before the enemy had arrived. A single asteroid-turned-space station, a few lunar mining operations, no major colony, no major presence at all. More pressing were the icons of dozens of enemies' automated factories that were capable of producing thousands of hunter-killers a year. More impressive was the smaller planetoids, little more than an over-large asteroid stuck in orbit around a gas giant that was being reconstituted into a massive shipyard from which the new command ship would likely be built. A worrying sign, the enemy had spread too fast for its own network computational abilities thanks to its sudden acquisition of FTL-capable ships. It was a second confined command ship manufacturing escort the enemy, which surely meant that there were more being built throughout the human space. The display continued to populate as it created a real-time reflection of the system. The ships of the sword formation appeared to be leading edge of a long cloud of hunter-killers, and in their wake were floundered cleosted ships the dead grey icons of derelict human warships. It was like what happened in the human fleet when they transitioned into the origin system of the enemy's invasion. They had been waiting, ready to strike the moment Captain Ciaria's fleet had first transitioned in. Their display indicated that besides the ships pursuing sword formation, there weren't any other picket fleets. They had been waiting exactly where her formation had transitioned into the system. If Biela didn't do something quickly, half of her fleet would be destroyed, then the rest of her fleet shortly after, surely. They would finish sword formation, then come for wing next, a growing sense of dread, panic. She stared at the display, unsure what to do. Go to Captain Saria's aid, save what was left of her formation, or race to where the human fleet was due to transition into the system, join their numbers together, and try something else. 
Grand Admiral Thornan grew cold. He had never been very upon these emotions, but she had always felt some sense of his presence. But as he stepped up onto the war room table, that was gone. Wing formation, full speed to our primary objective. Sword formation, make full speed to our location. We will combine forces and hold the factory until the AI is done. Ben stood on the bridge of Falcon 2, one hand raised up against the rail above his head. An unfamiliar rail, but it was close enough, and it was a solid mounting. His fleet as in transit to the enemy's home system. He couldn't be sure what her plan was, but he knew Piella had agreed to his suggestion, knew that she had committed her ships, and knew that they were in trouble. A frozen lump of unease in his gut, a nervous energy in his bones, as if he needed to run, to race to the enemy system. He had almost ordered more power to the main engines, but had held off. Most of the ships of his fleet were already old, second or third hand, and in no condition to put their drives under so much stress. He trusted the men and women of the fleet to do their jobs, that they had gotten their vessels into the fine operating condition as could be managed. But with so few shipyards left, such rapid shuffling of crews due to casualties, and indeed so few experienced crews because of casualties, he could ask no more of them. So he stood staring at the tactical display, which estimated their time of arrival in the target system. The telemetry data was weeks old, last damped by Falcon 2 when it had fled the system with the remnants of the lost fleet. The crew was nervous, and rightfully so. They knew what was waiting for them there, knew what was to stake what the Commodore was asking of them. It was an attack, programs didn't work, there would be no third chance. And even if they lived... They are criminals. Even if they succeeded, they would be repercussions because they knew the Commodore would hand the fleet back to the politicians, to Admiral McLean, if there was any fleet left to give back. And they knew why he would do it. Five minutes, Commodore. He nodded slightly to the Falcon's second captain. He should have been on the bridge in the war room, ready to direct the fleet as needed with a team of experienced officers and personal staff. But a destroyer was never meant to be a flagship, and the Commodore was never meant to command more than a handful of vessels at a time. And he had no intention of leaving the bridge anyway. Commodore Owens to the fleet, prepared to repel borders, stay close, cover each other. But once this starts, all vessels are to make full speed to the command ship. He knew she was there for him, ready. It would be the first time he saw Piella outside of dated articles of clear-stood politics. The conditions were less than ideal, but the knowledge that she had been with him for so long and everything she had done and risked to help brought a brief smile. Like Officer Voronin, he opened up a secure channel, one only he and Jake would hear. Jake, damn it, man, Jake is just fine. What do you need, Ben? I don't think it's going well with the clearested fleet. I think they've been hit hard. We'll be going in on active enemy fleet, with a quarter as many ships as the last time that I was there. His tone was quite tense. Something was very wrong. Jake was silent for a moment. No plan, contact, enemy, etc. Blah, blah. Well, I can't trust her judgment since she seems to like you so much, but I'm sure she'll not let you down. Jake was equally tense. He had spent much of the war away from combat, the luck of important parents, and had pulled strings on his behalf. 
whether he had wanted to or not. His first major engagement, his first time commanding a line ship, and it was to be the most pivotal battle in the war, the last battle, whether they succeeded or not. The Amulus, unbroken, held station alongside the enemy automated factory. The structure was huge, with its open ribcage-like design. Hundreds of hunter-killers could be seen in various stages of completion as the cloud of small drones flitted about carrying raw ore from the asteroids to the refineries and finished materials to the ships waiting to be built. Dozens of boarding shuttles had been launched, and by some small miracle, most had reached their destinations. The facilities had no interior worth noting. There were no halls or corridors, no space for crew or staff. Teams scurried along the facility's superstructure, while one of many teams of technicians fought to install the comms relay that was wired directly into the enemy network. Aboard the Emulus Unbroken, Pielas left Grand Admiral to commanding the fleet, and instead worked with hope to establish a connection the AI would need to infiltrate the enemy network. Mother, I think I'm ready. Hope sat cross-legged on the table, an array of strange icons and glyphs scattered around herself. Some were human, Piela suspected, others likely representative of programs signaled out for the enemy's network. Movement on station, spiders, lots of them. She jerked around to see one of the tactical displays, a bird's eye view of the comms relay and dozens of void suits encased cluster soldiers that were guarding it. The pulse weapons fire as they form slowly constricting circle around the relay. Similar bolts of energy streak back at them, striking the exposed soldiers as they struggle to keep the enemy back. If a were struck while Hope was still in the enemy network, then she wasn't successful in taking over their communication system. Her connection to the Emulus Unbroken would be lost, and if she didn't try it... It is time, Mother, now or never... Hope was staring up at her, a too serious expression on her face. She couldn't act without Piella's permission, but it was clear what she wanted to do. She was in a position to help. It wasn't why she had been made, wasn't the point of her existence, but it was something only she could do at that moment. Can't let you and father take all the risks alone, can I? A swell of pride, a child and rational as it was to think the piece of software as such that had grown up that wanted to protect its parents, understanding all the risks that that entailed. So, she nodded ever so slightly. I love you, daughter. That serious look vanished and was replaced by one of pure joy. It was the first time Piela had ever called her daughter. I love you too, mother. And then, she was gone. Solomon has jettisoned her primary power call, detonation in five... Herald reports first wave of borders repelled. All communications with Jupiter Command deck lost. Engineering is setting self-destructs. Ben loaded a fresh magazine into his service pistol, turning his back from the torn door that had separated the bridge from the rest of the ship, and nodded to the Marine who was busy sealing the tear in his armored environment suit with a spray-on sealant. He was bleeding, but he'd suffered worse. Commodore to fleet continue for command ship. His pistol was returned to its holster, his gaze glued to the tactical display. Swarms of enemy hunter-killers followed in the wake. The most of his ships were at least marginally faster, at least in the short term. But their engines were already overheating, fuel was low, and many had sustained damage passing through the swarm to begin with. And more were on approach, 
rising away from the various automated factories and other pickets. The enemy had greatly increased their security. Icons of dozens of warships that he had fought alongside not so long ago were amongst the swarms, coming for him and his fleet like angry ghosts. Have the Herald move up onto our starboard, they've lost most of their port beam flank capabilities in the last run. Minor adjustments, ships jockeying for the fringes of the interior of the formation as they sped up to dead run towards the command ship. Contact with the next swarm in ten. His gaze shifted to the marine, dragging one of the enemy carcasses, a pain-contorted face of one of the ship's crew peering out of the ceiling with dead eyes. From the bridge, debris and pieces of destroyed spiders were being pulled up at the makeshift barricade. He flashed a grim smile, made worse for the scars across his face. Not that his crew could see it, busy as they were. Check your magazines, people. A constant stream of information passed through the comms relay attached to the enemy's automated factory, and the central computer of the MLS unbroken. The war room was soundproof, but it offered little protection from the sense of pain and horror and anger throughout the ship beyond its armored doors. The Grand Admiral Sonan still stood in the center table, hands constantly moving through holographic displays to send movement orders, flag-firing vectors, and arrange formations. Captain Saria and what was left of the sword formation had joined wing formation around the automated factories, and she continued to lead her tattered ships in a brilliant series of high-speed maneuvers while the Grand Admiral's wing formation held stationary positions a series of perfectly interlocked firing angles that had, for a time, kept the enemy from closing enough to board. But all good things had to come to an end. The hunter-killer's main guns had slowly picked the fleet apart. Three ships had been lost to enemy fire. Four more for boarding actions. The numbers kept climbing. By some miracle, the soldiers aboard the factory had kept the enemy spiders at bay while assisted by the interceptor fire from the fleet's guns. They had to be careful not to damage the station, else risk losing Hope's connection to the comm system. There was a banging against the door, a sound of energy discharging and scrapes of metal against metal. An explosion rocked the ship. Something had been detonated on the ship's interior. The display of the ship, already rippled with reds and oranges of battle damage, suddenly blossomed. The main weapons bay on the starboard side suddenly went red. Other parts of the ship followed as they were likely overrun. Icons marking the ship's crew were converging outside engineering and the command deck, and she held no illusions that they weren't her people any longer. Another blow against the war room door, and the steel creaked, there was a rush of atmosphere as it was sucked out of the hole. Helmets on, princess, far wall now. Grand Admiral waved a hand through the holographic display, causing it to spin 180 degrees, and he circled the table so his back was no longer to the door. The rest of the general staff abandoned their stations at his gesture, drawing sidearms and a few rifles that were stored in a rack on the wall. Piala stood there was nothing more that she could do to help Hope. She had crossed the room and standing between Sornan and the door, sliding her own environment suit helmet over her head and drawing her pistol. A strange sense of calm washed over her. She should have been terrified, especially knowing what was clawing its way through the door. What would happen to her crew, herself, 
if they were taken alive, or dead for that matter. But she wasn't. She knew Hope would do what was needed. The AI, her daughter, didn't know how to fail. She flashed a grim smile and armed the charge on a pistol. Check your magazines, people. Warning Claxton sounded throughout the Falcon too. An unpleasantly familiar scene played out before him as he stared at the hole torn clear through the five meters of ship's hull to the vacuum of space beyond. But by some miracle, most of the bridge crew had survived the hit. The bar he usually held onto the ceiling had, however, had been drawn free from its welds on one end and hung downwards at an angle that threatened to strike his helmet every time he turned his head. The main guns were crippled, much to the flak was gone, spent or simply destroyed, and the crew was down to a handful. Ship designs had cut a lot corners in general safety practices since the conflict had begun. The Falcon 2's bridge was almost immediately adjacent to engineering, the two most likely target chambers on the ship whenever the enemy boarded. By co-locating them, it was easier to defend them, especially since, typically, if one fell, the other wasn't able to accomplish anything useful anyway. Barely two kilometers away through the hull, he could see the Herald. A half-dozen hunter-killers had attached to her hull which already wore an empty husks of three of its parasites from the last time the bastards had tried. Through his cybernetic eye, he watched the last flashes of small arms fire from the dead ship's bridge, watched as she began to power down and drop out of formation. Weapons range on command ship in two minutes. The bridge was no longer able to bring up holographic displays that he'd been using to track the fleet's formation and condition. He glanced around for a moment, assessing the situation aboard the Falcon 2, and could only surmise that it was much the same as any other ship left in the fleet. Commodore Owens to all remaining ships. Command is transferred to Flag Officer Voronin. Jake, keep with the plan. We have to keep the pressure on it. We have to hold as much of its attention as we can. Roger that, Ben. All ships' formation corrections to follow. All guns to target the command ship and fire once in range. Prioritize anything that looks expensive. Ben turned to the ship's former captain, rummaging around the dead man's gun belt for a fresh magazine, which he slammed into his pistol. Any minute now. She dropped down behind the console as twin bolts of particle fire dashed through the space that she had been standing in, magnetic boots holding her in place. The room was filled with screams and weapons fire. The emulus, unbroken, was fading to live up to its name, it seemed. Biela glanced at Air Grand Admiral Sornan, who lay with his back to the far wall, held in place with the magnetic soles of his boots as the steadying hand of one of his staff who had just reloaded his weapon, slipping a fresh magazine into his own sidearm, grimacing through the pain from his ruined left shoulder, I think, Princess, that when this is over, she begin adopting the human predilection of body armor and zero atmosphere. The she could help but smile despite everything, and instead leaned around the console to resume firing at the torn open door. I think you're right. I, for one, think they make for very dashing uniforms, Marshal. Practical. Soronan barked a laugh and leaned to one side, his good arm raised to resume firing as well. Make sure to tell your mother it was my idea, would you? I do believe I brought it up with her once before. 
The Grand Admiral carried an odd fondness for in his words, a familiarity that was entirely unbecoming of a mere fleet officer in regards to the Empress of the Cleisted Empire. Biela gasped suddenly and glanced back at the man, grinning despite the finality of the situation. You and my mother? We were young ones too, you know. And then everything went silent. The clang of metal crashing the door, the dissipation of charged particle weapons, the HUD for her helmet flashed with a new message, a recorded audio file that had arrived the same moment everything had simply stopped. She slowly stood and did a few other survivors in the room. The ship had lost power during the fighting, gravity was gone, atmosphere had been vented from multiple hull breaches. Two of the Grand Admiral's staff pushed off the corridor beyond, poshed the wreckage bodies of the dozens of hosts and spiders. All clear, she frowned and then accessed the recorded message, reloading her pistol as she did. I'm sorry, mother, it didn't work, I couldn't do it from here. I need to be closer. With little else to do, Ben stared at the hole in his side of his ship, watching as a fresh swarm of hunter-killers overtook the fleet. Main guns fired with flashes of energy that would have blinded him had the lens on his helmet not shielded his eye. One of the blasted things was arching towards the Falcon too, seemingly aimed straight for the hole and was staring out of. He looked at his pistol for a moment, absently pondering trying to shoot the damn thing, and then it exploded, vanished in a pulse of energy weapons fire. Another hunter-killer suddenly spun into view, clashing into the hull of the Falcon 2's further astern. He frowned, not sure what to make of what he had seen. Guess this is it, lads. Anyway, started a fight amongst itself for who gets to kill us, it seems. There was a warning sirens, but they usually kicked off in the hull breach, or something trying to cut through. Didn't kick in. Likely broken, he assumed, but then a few remaining systems aboard the Falcon 2's bridge suddenly flashed out and went screwy, before returning to a normal once more, and he found himself staring at a very confused and mostly jobless communication officer's terminal, where a familiar face could be seen. Hello, father. Hello, daughter. No time to explain, father, but I need to get onto the command ship. Ah... Then lock me out of the communications net. Mother is safe. I was able to execute the kill command on those ones, but I couldn't get hold of them. So I have to go directly, you see. Well, about that. Nav, cancel last. Cut speed. Bring us gently, would you? She slipped into his seat and began doing a crash harness, as did the rest of the bridge crew. The comms officer brought up the ship's intercom to warn everyone to brace for impact, to which laughter could be heard from the crew left in engineering since they're still expected to be ramming the maneuver. Reporting the command ship. Change of plan. No one gets to die just yet. A distant voice echoed from engineering through open doors. Best plan ever. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.